stand up, pray, and read God's Word together. We're going to be reading from Mark 9, verses 30 through 37. Mark 9, 30 to 37. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word, we just pray that you will open our hearts and minds and get your word into us in a living, meaningful way. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Mark nine thirty. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bud, for reading. You going to join me today? We're going to team preach? <laughs> All right. Well, good morning again. Uh, good, to, good to be with you on this Lord's Day. Uh, my wife comes back today. I'm happy for that. She's been in Yosemite with her sisters for the last couple of days, sent a, sent a couple photos, saw those photos, and man, did I want to be there. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to be with you, too, but, uh, but it would have been nice to, uh, to be there. But uh, I'm not one of her sisters, so I didn't get invited to go. Um, really good for them to get away. As many times as I've read the Gospels, uh, Jesus continues to surprise me. In today's passage, again, I'm, I'm surprised and, and um, invigorated, and, and the Word of God is just... Uh, beautiful. And today's passage is, is not an exception. I'm surprised at Jesus in today's passage. What's going on in today's passage is the disciples, the 12, are journeying down the road. It's obvious that Jesus isn't with an earshot of them. So he's ahead of them or behind them or whatever. And they're having a discussion about who is going to be the greatest. Who's the top dog? Who's numero uno? Uh, Who's going to be the lead pastor of these 12 uh, apostles? 
This is the discussion that they are having. And what surprises me, even though I've read this passage and read the Gospels numerous times, what surprises me is Jesus doesn't just say, cut it out. He doesn't say, just stop doing that. that. That's not what he does. What he does is he redefines and resets what greatness is. You know, I'm, I am a, a parent in progress, confession. Any parents in progress out there? Like anybody totally have parenting figure out, you can see me right after the service. We'll have like the reverse altar call. Okay, I'll come right to you. Um, and I can get some help. I, I'm, I am a work in progress as a parent. And so my instincts might be to say to the apostles, just cut this out. Just stop it. Just quit that. Stop this. But Jesus surprises me. He goes beyond that. And he redefines what greatness is. That's what we're going to look at today. Short passage, short sermon this week. Before we get into the text, I want to say a few things about what greatness is not. Our our culture speaks very loud to us about what greatness is. I want to remind us everything I'm going to say today, everything that most preachers say most weeks, you already know. But you still got to sit here and listen to me, okay? I'm not going to say a whole lot of new things today. Greatness is not the accumulation of wealth. We've all experienced this. We've all entered into this kind of false idea of greatness. Maybe you walk into someone's house and Man, the ceilings are like as high as this, and the, the doors are like, you know, the, the, the doorways like as much as my first floor of my house or something. You know, you walk in, and there's these like huge windows and vistas and just this incredible place, this incredible home. You go into a home like that, and, and, and you might enter into worldly kind of thinking and thinking, this is where great people live. These, these are great people that have a house like this. But we know from the scriptures that greatness is not the accumulation of wealth. Greatness is not getting super rich. The Bible tells us you cannot serve both God and money. That's not what greatness is. The metric for greatness is not wealth. It's not our home. It's not our car. It's not the stuff that we have. Just reminding us right now what greatness is not. Greatness is not winning. I mean, I like to win. Anybody anybody else, confessors out there like, like, I'm fine to play a game with you as long as I can beat you, right? I am, I am a work in progress on this too. I, I don't like very many board games. Now, one reason is I only like to play the ones I'm going to win, and I, don't like, I just don't like most of them. But one of the games I like is Scrabble. So I play Scrabble, and I often win at Scrabble. I've played my sixth-grade daughter, who's out of town also, wife out of town, daughter out of town, I prayed my sixth grade daughter last couple, this last week, she was homesick. We played a couple times. Man, she crushed me. She crushed me. I like texted the score to my wife. I didn't say who's, who had the high score. You know, she texted me back, who, who won? I'm like, oh, Gracie won. Gracie won. Where am I? Winning. Winning is not greatness. It's part of what we think. It's part of how we act. People that win, whether it's a board game or a, a professional sport, whether it's academics, whether it's at work, working your way up the ladder, the, the top producer, the biggest grocer. That's what greatness is. Not according to Scripture. Not according to what we're going to see in a moment. I'm just reminding us this morning what greatness is not. 
Greatness is, is, not, is not winning. One of the passages where we see this is, is the parable of the talents. There, there's, there's three people in that, in that parable, but the two that actually do things, one of them has been given five talents, one of them has been given two talents, and they both reproduce their talents that they've been entrusted with. They were both good stewards. One produces two more, one produces five more. Jesus doesn't say to the one who produced five that you won. <laughs> that person only produced two. That's not the punchline of that parable. You know, what, you know the punchline. You know what Jesus' point was. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The, the person who, who multiplied the, the two talents into two and the person that multiplied the five talents into five, Jesus says the exact same thing to both of them. They've been faithful. He doesn't say, oh, the one who's got five won. It's not about winning. It's not about the accumulation of wealth. It's not about acquiring. Um, this is crazy. It's not about acquiring an incredible spouse. Can I say this? Have you guys, I don't know if uh, what you read, what news you read or whatever, but have you seen the, uh, today there's a big election today. You know what the election is today? In fact, there was France. The results are coming out like right now. Like it's supposed to be probably right now. Somebody, somebody's probably Googling it and they probably know who won. This guy's expected uh, to win. Anybody know this guy's name? Do we have any French speakers here today? I'm not a French speaker. Emmanuel Macron, however you say that in, in France, in French, in French or in France, or in French in the U.S. Um, so he's expected to win. Why do I have him up here? This is an interesting perspective of greatness from the French female culture. Okay, this is, this is in the Washington Post just a few days ago. One of the reasons that he is expected to win according to what I've read in the, in the media, is his wife. His, his women, French women, love that this older woman has married this young man. They love that. Let me read to you just part of this article. Emmanuel Macron, the frontrunner in Sunday's French presidential election, shares something with President Trump, a 24-year age gap with his wife. The difference is that Macron's wife is the older one. That cliche-busting fact, a candidate young enough to be his wife's son rather than old enough to be her father, is a little social revenge that delights many French women, including Martine Bergossi. Why can't we marry younger men? I date them all the time, said Bergossi, the stylish owner of Alternatives, a second-hand couture shop in Paris who prefers to leave her exact age to the imagination. It's normal to see men with younger women, so it's rather great to see the opposite. Now, my point this morning is not to condemn this marriage or the parallel marriage that's brought up in the article here. Um, I hope both of those marriages are beautiful, gospel-centered, Christian marriages. My point is that greatness is not, from a cultural perspective, what I'm condemning in a sense, is, is the female French culture's perspective of this 
article's correct, that what's really great is if you're an older lady, that you can marry a guy that's several decades younger than you are. Are you with me? This is not greatness. This is not greatness. So what is greatness? We know what it is. Let's look at God's word here and transition to what greatness is. We're going to look just at verses 33 through 37 today. Let's begin looking at verses 33 and 34. It says, they came to Capernaum, that they here are the 12 apostles, 12 disciples. They have come to Capernaum. They've come to base camp. We're, we're kind of full circle now to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. They've returned to most likely Peter's mother-in-law's home, which is serving as their headquarters, their base camp. So when he was in the house, verse 33, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. They kept quiet. Now, when Jesus asks a question, I've mentioned this before, when Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for information. Right? He knows the answer to all things. He was there in the beginning with God. He created the heavens and the earth. He knows all things. And just the reader of Mark's gospel uh, has, has already learned that Jesus not only knows what people have been talking about, but he knows their thoughts. And so when he asks the question, what have you been arguing about? It's not that he's looking for information. Jesus, this is his, when he asks a question, this is a setup for teaching. This is a setup for, for him to do something. Again, the careful reader of of Mark's gospel, when we see this question, what were you arguing about on the way? And they kept quiet. We see the failure of the disciples here. We see the failure of the apostles. Uh, we, We know that Jesus understands what's going on in our lives. Going back to John chapter four, the woman at the well. He tells her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now, then that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus knows what is going on in the lives of the apostles. He knows what is going on in the life of the woman at the well. And our God is so incredible. He knows what is going on in my life and in your life today. And he doesn't want us to respond with silence When he comes to us with a question, what have you been talking about? What have you been thinking about? Where have your mind, where has your mind and your thought life been? He does not want us to be silent. The apostles' minds and thoughts have been on status and they have been on power. They have been on, I want to be numero uno, I want to be the best. One commentator writes this, in conjunction with their messianic expectation of a political liberator, that's what they were expecting Jesus to do, to come and liberate them and to rule and to reign. The disciples dream of status, honor, and power. This is what's going on, and they respond with silence. And they aren't the only ones in Mark's gospel who have responded to Jesus' questions or Jesus' comments with silence. Looking back at Mark chapter 3, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Them being the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the the people at the top of the heap. What's lawful? They're criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath. 
what's lawful, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, but they remain silent. So we see a connection in the place of thinking of the hearts of the disciples of Jesus and the religious leaders of Jesus' day whom he has the hardest, harshest words for in the Gospels. So we have a negative example again of the apostles here with silence. So I want to say this morning, out of this text, as you and I seek to to turn down the volume, to move away from all of the things that the world says, that our world says to us about what is greatness, as we turn down the volume on that, we want to turn the volume up on what God's word has to say about greatness. And the first thing I want to say out of this passage, first of three points, is that the road to greatness is not silent. And by this I mean God wants to hear our confessions. He wants to hear our praises. He wants to hear who we are really and genuinely. He wants us to pour our hearts out to him. He knows our hearts already, but he wants us as his children to communicate to him and to pour out with great honesty who we are, what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with. A little bit later in the worship service, we're, we're going to be passing elements. We'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper. I want to challenge you this morning to not let that be routine. I want to challenge you not to be like the disciples and just kind of be silent and just going through the motions, but that you would ask the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life and to be searching your heart and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate you know, what do I need to repent of? What do I need help of? How can you help transform me? So that I'm not like the disciples here who are trying to impress, who are allowing the world's influence to determine what greatness is and not Jesus' influence, not the word of God of what greatness is. So we need to not be silent. If you and I are going to be on the biblical road to greatness, a gospel road to greatness, we need to be very free with our expressions to God and very honest and open to him. And not only to him, Robert already mentioned it during the time of confession, but to one another. James chapter 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So our, our forgiveness is not based upon our confession to God or to others, really. Our forgiveness is based upon our faith in the finished work of Jesus As our sin substitute on the cross and his resurrection, we are justified by faith. We are not justified by forgiving, by naming every single one of our sins and and getting forgiveness for them because we recalled them correctly or because we confessed them to one another. But this is how we work out our lives and how we are transformed by confessing our sins to God and to each other. Now, this confession to each other, one another part is, is tough for some of us. Because some of us may not have a brother or sister in Christ that we're close enough to that we're willing to be honest with. That we're really willing to confess what I'm really dealing with, what I'm really struggling with. And so, so relationships become hugely important in the church. That's why our church, like many churches, our structure basically is, you know, we gather all of us on Sunday mornings and then we want to gather in smaller groups Not that our small group is going to be just a time of confession. That's not what I'm saying. But in those small groups, 
one of the things that we want to happen is relationships form and grow. And so there may be one or two brothers or one or two sisters in that small group or in that women's Bible study or that men's Bible study that, that you connect with and you spend time with probably outside of that group to, to share some of those battles, some of those struggles that you might not even share in that, in that small group environment. So greatness, the road to greatness, the road to biblical greatness is not a silent road. We're, we're totally open and honest with the Lord alone. And then we also uh, are confessing our sins, whether it's to a spouse or a close brother or a cro- close sister who's praying for us and strengthening us, helping us to change. And I'm so thankful for several, a bunch of different guys that I, I meet with regularly, but our, the elders, you know, we get together and we pray for you each week. And part of our dynamic is, is praying for each other. You know, when I came to Cornerstone seven, eight years ago, whenever it was, I, I came to the first elder meeting, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, the previous experience I had with the elder meeting, we, we'd pray quickly, and then we'd get on. We have like 25 agenda items we need to get to, and we're going through all this stuff. I remember one of the first elder meetings I came to Cornerstone, man, we're, we're just praying at length for each other for the congregation, like this is one of the main things that we do. Like all the other agenda items are kind of secondary. And so for me, that's been a beautiful thing as we share what's going on and, and, and do that with, in the week, sharing with brothers uh, things that I'm, I'm not going to share with everybody. You, you need this in your life to grow and become the man or woman of God that Christ wants you to be. You need brothers and sisters that you can share with. The road to greatness is not silent. Back to our text. So we've looked at verses 33 and 34. One more, one more thing here. Um, C.J. Mahaney writes this. He, he asks this question in, in what we're talking about now. He says, are you regularly informing others of your temptations and sins, or do you present to them, to, to your small group, your Bible study, or whoever, your Christian friends, do you present to them a carefully edited and flattering version of yourself? This is the, this is the, the spirit of the world is that we present ourselves as flattering, as I've got things figured out. That is not true. We are all works in progress. And we want to be very honest with our brothers and sisters. If we're having victories, we we want to celebrate those and, and name them. But our struggles, we want to be honest with them as well and share them. So the road to greatness is not silent. Let's come back to the text now, verse verse 35. We finally get to what it is. What is greatness? So they're silent. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Mark is, is wanting the reader to see throughout the entire gospel of Mark the, the power and the magnetism of Jesus. Even though he's going to die this scandalous death on a cross that you would never think the Messiah is going to do. That's what the, the, the Jewish people are not anticipating that. So one of the, almost every sermon through Mark's gospel, the, the theme could be Jesus is God, the Son of God, in spite of the death and the suffering that he's about to go through. And so he's asked this question. They don't answer it, but Jesus knows exactly what's going on, and the reader should notice this about Jesus. Verse 35 says he's sitting down. So he's taking the posture. Our culture today, when someone teaches, they stand up. But in that day, people sat down, and the congregation or the people gathered would stand up. I wonder if we should change that uh, tradition. It was in the early church, too. Augustine, for example, he would come in, he'd come into his pulpit, and he's about to preach, and he would sit down, and everybody would stand up throughout the entire sermon. 
So maybe we'll put that on our agenda for our elder meeting next week. Get a big chair up here. Uh, Lazy Boy One. Maybe those ones at Costco, the pivot, you know, you get like horizontal, like get the perfect. All right, I'm getting off script here. Um, So this is what Jesus is doing. He's sitting down in verse 35. He calls the 12. And he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. He must be the servant of all. So they haven't told Jesus what what they've been talking about. He knows what they've been talking about. And he redefines what greatness is right here in one verse. The context here is you've got 12 people fighting for spot number one. Who's going to be the CEO? Who's going to be the lead pastor? Jesus says, this is what greatness is about. It's not about being the person up front. It's not about prominence. What biblical greatness is, is serving others. To paraphrase what he's saying here, he's saying, whoever is serving the other 11 the most joyfully, the most willingly, that's who the greatest is among you. That's what greatness is, biblically speaking, according to Jesus, is serving others. You see the language. If anyone wants to be first, Meaning first of the twelve, he must be the very last and the servant of everyone. Servant of you all. The road to greatness is not prominent. I'm not saying that prominent people can't be great people. I'm saying great people, nationally recognized people, internationally recognized people, famous people, that is not what greatness is according to Scripture They could also be great. They could also love Jesus very much and have a heart to serve others. That's what greatness is. And so we want to be on the lookout for that. And we want God to be making us, putting us on this road to greatness, that we're not silent, that we're not looking for prominence, that we're not looking to be the chief amongst the Indians, that we are looking to serve. So I've had such a blessing in my life to see So many great people. And I'm going to talk about one of them right now, and I'm going to talk about him in part because he's not here, he's not part of this congregation, was part of a previous congregation. I've talked about him before. In fact, I've probably said these very things about him, maybe to you. But at a previous congregation I served over in Cool, we had a deacon, and his name was Steve. And some of you here today know Steve. And Steve's one of the greatest people I know according to this definition of biblical greatness. Um, to give you a couple glimpses of what Steve's like. Like one of the things I constantly do, I don't know if you're like this, but I leave a book I need at the office at home and I'm at home working or I have something in the office and I got to run back and forth and get something. So I, or a, a computer cord or whatever. Anybody else like that? So, so, I'm, so this is over in Cool. I need something at the church. I'm at home working. It's late in the evening. I need a book. I think it was a book. I don't remember exactly what it was. So I'm running over to the church late at night it's like 9, 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. Run over there. I get up in my office, and I end up staying up there for a few minutes, doing a few things in my office. It's pitch dark, late at night in the summer, and I'm sitting there reading, and I hear a weed eater. 10 o'clock at night, hearing a weed eater. What, what is going on? So I go outside, and Steve, it's like a Saturday night. 
Steve is weed-eating the hillside right near the parking lot. What, what are you doing, Steve? Oh, well, you know, this hillside just looks terrible. Everybody's going to be coming tomorrow and just, just wanted to get this done. It's cool out. It's just out weed-eating. Parking lot lights are on so he can see. And he's just, just weed-eating. You know, after church on Sundays, uh, here and there, you know, we, we greet each other for a while, but then we want to go. We're hungry. We want to leave, right? Some of you right now, this isn't a good thing to talk about, right? It's like preaching 101. Don't talk about how hungry your people are while you're preaching. We're hungry. We want to leave. But somebody's got to stay and lock up and clean up and lock all the doors. And Steve was that guy. And he did it joyfully. I mean, Steve is the guy, like, if, you need, if we need to go to the airport and our flight is like at 6 a.m., we need a ride, who do we call? Who's going to be happy to take our family to the airport? Steve. We call Steve. This little, he had this pickup truck with those, those nightmare side seats. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you have to be a gymnast to get into the back. And our family, when our kids were little, we'd pile in there. Five o'clock in the morning, Steve's picking us up, taking us to the airport. Just not prominent at all, but joyful and loving to serve. Steve's one of the people that I look up to. The road to greatness is not a prominent road. This is what Jesus is communicating to us. This is what he was communicating to the disciples. A couple more verses. Back to uh, verses 36 and 37. So he's explained what it was, and now he, he gives an illustration here. Verse 36. He took a little child, had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is powerful, the very end here. Jesus is saying, If you welcome one of these, you are welcoming me. And not just me, but the Father who sent me. Now we have to understand the perspective of children in the first century to kind of get this to get what's, what's going on here. So, one commentator writes this, says, children were very insignificant in ancient culture, so this child would be the perfect object lesson to counter the disciples' selfish ambition. Another commentator writes this, as the least important member of ancient society, a child had no power or status and was completely dependent, and they're often just kind of pushed to the side. Now, we need to understand that as we're reading this passage because that's not the case in our culture. <laughs> uh, our families, including my own in part, revolve around our child, children's schedules. Anybody? Am I the only one? So I, I need a big altar call for me after the service today. Um, yesterday, in the sun in Davis for soccer games, soccer dad yesterday was me. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. I'm, that's, it's a good thing to go to our kids' sports events and to, to love on them and to, to support them. What I'm saying is in this culture, this, was, this category of people, children, were people that were in need of love and affirmation and need to be poured into. And so that's what Jesus is doing. And so we need to not necessarily focus on children, but we need to ask ourselves the question, who in my neighborhood, who at my school, who in my circle of influence is needy and needs to be served and loved and, and displayed affection and welcomed in this way? This is what greatness looks like. So the road to greatness is loving those in need. 
And in Jesus' day, children were a neglected segment of society, and they were, need, they were needing love and affirmation. And this is what it looks like to be great. That you, you 12 serve one another, and you look for people who are desperate and needy of love, and you love them. This is what greatness looks like. This is what we are to pray and to long for. I want to do that now. Let's just bow our heads together. And let's pray and ask God to help us individually and corporately to be great. Father in heaven, Lord, we are thankful for your word and for your presence in our lives. Lord, the world in so many ways, so many powerful ways, communicates what greatness is into our lives. Lord, we pray, I pray that today, to some degree, that your Holy Spirit would have been at work and the volume that the world has in each of our hearts and minds would, would be turned off and if it's even possible, they would be silenced. That our vision, our ideas of greatness would not have to do with prominence, with wealth, with acquiring uh, a trophy spouse, with impressing others, with winning, with whatever it is, that these things would be put in their place, Lord. And as you called the disciples, as you called the twelve to serve one another, we pray that you would help us to be a church family that is eager to serve one another and to love one another. And we pray that we would have our eyes open, Lord, in our spheres of influence, and even those who may be nearby us that aren't in our sphere of influence, that we would take a step out to love them and serve them. Help us to be great. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.